Hi, this is Esther, and you're listening to the Sometimes Always Book Club. We are reading Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. This is Chapter 6, The Abyss Gazes Also. Thuster. I am here with Katie. Hi there. Andrew. Correct. Zach. <coughs> and present. And Bob. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> the opening image is of a Rorschach test ink blot. This chapter gives us the most information on Rorschach that we have so far. We learn about his childhood, his mother, his worldview, and what caused him to retreat fully into the Rorschach persona. And like I pointed out in a previous chapter, he is really the only character that you think of in terms of their other identity. All the other characters you think of is their their names and their self, but Rorschach is always Rorschach. In I think it's in the first chapter we see that he always call Rorschach always calls Dan Daniel, but Dan always calls him Rorschach, even though <laughs> they like work together and knew but- each other. But I think that goes back to his identity. He sees himself that way yes. too. Yeah. Like everybody Batman. else, they're yeah, well everybody else, yeah, their their alter ego is their side gig with Rorschach. He is that and the Walter persona is his side gig. That's yes. his cover. That's his costume. Yeah. This chapter is filled with notes from Dr. Malcolm Long, a psychiatrist who is interviewing Rorschach. So it kind of is say worst psychiatrist ever. Yes. He, he really sucks. <laughs> He's not a good psychiatrist. It made at me all. feel bad that I got educated in psychology. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Well, you know, he's just doing this on on the side when he's not filming Family Matters. So, <laughs> <laughs> nice not one. Carl. Oh, okay. <laughs> good poll. Rorschach, we learn, is a short redheaded guy named Walter Kovacs. Long asks Rorschach to tell him what the ink blots look like to him. Rorschach sees a dead dog with its head split open, and but he says a pretty butterfly. Long is surprised by Rorschach's positive answers and comments on how he is alienated from basically everybody. It took Rorschach tests to determine that? No, but he's surprised <laughs> at the, uh, how positive his answers are, despite the fact that he's alienated from everybody. Uh. Although, obviously, we know that he's saying what he thinks that the psychiatrist wants to hear. He shows him an inkblot which reminds Rorschach of two people having sex, and he is reminded of his childhood when he saw his mother, who worked as a prostitute, having sex with a man. He walked in, interrupted, and the man got angry and left, paying only $5. Rorschach's mother, Sylvia, became angry and hit him for costing her the full amount. I really, like, when I wrote down in my notes, was like, is it bad that this kind of like this chapter really gave me like a lot of sympathy for Rorschach? It gives me a lot of sympathy for him too, because you see, I think like a lot of young people who come from these terrible environments who go on to do terrible things, 
obviously that doesn't excuse their future behavior, but it also kind of gives you the idea that this person never really had a chance. Yeah, like he comes from such a lower class, like upbringing, so rough. He doesn't have a dad. His mom is a literal whore. And like, like you sex know, worker. I'm sorry, sex worker. We're, we're sex positive here. Uh, it, like she, <laughs> she's a literal prostitute. Like she actually like like pimps herself out, and it's like, and she beats him, and you know what I said. Like it's no wonder he fights for like a higher cause above himself, and like he has this sense of justice. Like he won't, like no wonder he has resentment for fight. Like when he comes in, he's just like would be the smartest dead man on the block. And, you know, he just has this coldness to him. Like. No wonder he has disdain for humanity because he's, he's like he, even from the beginning he's seen how shitty they are. Well, he sees that, and he also doesn't really have any kind of healthy uh, view of women from early on. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that kind of destroys any. I mean, he's not. He doesn't do anything violent towards women within the book, but he does sort of see them as almost like a different species, as yeah. something else. Yeah, he sees them as like an other. Yeah, not quite the same. Yeah, it's it's like. It, just kind of reading through this, it was like, yeah, he's been treated like shit his entire life. And even continuing, like, it literally shows you throughout this entire chapter, like, as he's in prison, like, no, he continues to be treated like shit. Like, as he's Rorschach, everything, he's just treated so horribly. And it's like, of course he ends up this way. Like, well, I feel like there are, you know, obviously there are real people like him who have been yeah. a product of the system, who have grown up without any positive role models, who have grown up abused or neglected or you know in a bad situation i mean obviously the main issue isn't so much that his mother is a prostitute it's the issue that his mother doesn't really protect him from seeing any of that or experiencing any of that and she's physically abusive to him and sees you know says things like that she should have had an abortion and then basically that you know he's destroyed her life and all this so i mean doesn't care about his well-being um has a bad experience with the woman who's supposed to take care of him. And I think it just warps his view of right and wrong in general, his view of women, his view of just humanity, yeah. because all he sees is the bad from like birth, basically. Yeah. And an ability to trust as well. Yeah. He, he doesn't trust anybody except sort of Dan kind of, I think as well, later they kind of get into that more. But Dan is the exact antithesis of everything he's dealt with, which I was going to say, it's a beautiful transition here from when he's walking through the the cell block back to his cell with everybody yelling god-awful things at him and threats and and calling the names and everything going right into when he was a child and the neighborhood bullies were doing the same thing right after his mother beat him up and everything. So I think that makes total sense that he clings to Dan because Dan is exactly the opposite everyone else he's had an experience with. Yeah, Dan may have been one of the only people who was ever, like, decent to him or, you know, treated him like an equal. Yeah, and it's kind of in the same vein, like, the comedian, too. He, like, he sees his, like, I, while I was reading this, I noticed it was, like, the comedian laughs at the human condition while Rorschach rages against it. And it's, like, they're both the same, like, two different apples from the same tree, just, like, falling at the exact same time. Yeah, they both have a, a very similar, just nihilistic view of the world and humanity. They just kind of react to it differently, I guess, yeah. is the way to put that. Whereas the comedian is kind of, you know, just like, whatever, this is all bullshit. This is all ridiculous. You guys are all just, you know, wasting your time. Whereas Rorschach is, for whatever reason, just eternally angry at everything. And, you know, and, and which is, I think, is a very believable thing for somebody like that because um 
I think we've all sort of known somebody maybe who, who came from an awful situation who grew up mad at the world with like a chip on their shoulder who may or may not have gone on to terrible things later in life, or maybe they just grew up to be an asshole. Well, and I think Rorschach is trying to reclaim the power that he lost when he wasn't treated well as a child. That's why he keeps fighting everybody because he's just trying to feel like he has some control over himself and his life. And I also really liked in this chapter, like, how he is manipulating the psychiatrist, because I really felt like that showed you a different side of Rorschach, that he really sees people, he knows what they want him to say, and he knows exactly how to use that to try and get what he wants, because he's been in these systems his whole life. Yeah, and that's something that I think a lot of people who are institutionalized for so long just kind of get to like, well, this is the stuff that I have to say. This is what they want me to say. So I'm going to say it, whether or not I truly believe it. It just kind of becomes parroting back the stuff that you're supposed to say. Well, it makes sense, too. In an earlier episode, I think it was Andrew pointed out how he was, even though he's kind of defective in a lot of ways, he is an amazing detective. The way he puts all these things together, I think it was. Well, it, oh, okay. It was. It was Zach. It was Zach. I, I, I was actually I remember. I was actually less than impressed with his methods. <laughs> oh, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Like, like his um his ability to kind of like look at the worst of people and then thus can like potentially find the the um the root of conspiracy. You know, as as the book continues, that I was impressed with. But in terms of just like. I'm just going to go into bars and well, yes. Break oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, that's kind that. of bad technique. In yeah, my I think opinion. it's. And actually, I saw something that kind of answers that mm-hmm. in the last chapter. I'll get to that. But I, I do think this shows how he can read, like you're saying, read people, read behind the scenes, understand motivations, and put those unseen, unspoken things together and kind of piece together a narrative. I did notice in the last chapter, I'm not going to flip there fast enough, when he was watching Dan. Uh, out at the Gunga Diner, he was looking across the street at the punks doing the uh, paint on the wall, mm-hmm. and he did say, "Gonna memorize their faces and, and deal with that later," or something along those lines. So, so when he did go into that bar, he may have it. Kind of references that maybe he did have a few individuals picked out, uh, kind of knew who he could lean on for that. And I, I think you know, it's so I, may- I might be pulling this, mm-hmm. grasping at straws, but I did that did kind of stand out to me that he is kind of filing away those particular individuals or types of people. Maybe they'll have info, but at the very least, I'm going to exact yeah. some form of justice based yeah. on something I've seen them do in the past. Right. In the well, chapter. we've seen him too. Is he's not stupid. Right. He's just yeah. impulsive and has a warped <laughs> view of what's right and wrong, but he, you know, he isn't stupid. Yeah, I was I was literally about to say they, they make a mention that like he was he did really well in school. Like he was really intelligent. And I was I was almost really shocked to see that a little bit. Because I was like, him and sure. And then yeah. and then as kind of the chapter progressed, it was like, Yeah, you know, that does make a lot of sense that like like he does kind of hide his actual intelligence, his actual IQ, like like behind this kind of gruff exterior. You'll see that a lot from highly intelligent people is that they can kind of end up rejecting societal norms because they're so hyper aware of how detrimental they may be or how much they don't agree with them because they can kind of see through the bullshit. And oftentimes they could be like dirty or, you know, isolated. So back in the present, uh, Rorschach is escorted back to his cell uh, and the other prisoners taunt him for several panels. It just kind of goes on and on. They threaten him with physical and sexual violence. They just insult him and just 
say terrible, terrible things to him as he goes back. And then we transition to um, him being reminded of an incident when he was 10. He was bullied by some kids who teased him. Uh, I called him a whore's son and some other things. I was going to say, like, I feel like this is my favorite way of uh, writing out kind of dialect because, or maybe not dialect, but like kind of an accent maybe because mm-hmm. the bully says, and it's written out this way, whore. Whore. Mm. <laughs> well, he also asks him if he's deef. Deef, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like just kind of having those little um, touches like that yeah. kind of like makes it feel more grounded to me. One of the kids smashes an apple into his face. And man, he must have smashed it really hard or that apple must have been really soft because um, it just explodes. And he snaps, grabs a cigarette out of one kid's mouth and puts it out in his eye. The kid's eye, not his own eye. Um, then he attacked. That would be <laughs> so hard, dude. Like, I would not fuck with that kid. What a I, he was just like, Argh! I'd be like, yeah, you can kick my ass. Of course. I will run away. <laughs> so he grabs a cigarette out of the kid's mouth and puts it out in the kid's eye. Then he attacked the other kid and bit him on the face until someone intervened and he was compared to a mad dog. This was another situation where I felt like the age was ambiguous, because when I was reading it originally, I was like, these are grown men. Why are they fucking with this kid? But then it says they were older children, and I was like... I'm going to say teens. Aren't it like... It, so he was it, only it just 10, didn't read that so. way to me. He's telling me, that, well, we, we already know that a 16-year-old looks 30 in this world. <laughs> <laughs> He's got... What is it? Rizzo disease? Yeah. <laughs> I do kind of like that idea of, like, some late 20s just looking at some little kid and he's like poor son well, yeah because like honestly that's the only reason why i would ever think somebody would call a kid a whore son who the fuck if you're like a teenager like i don't i would never go up to, to like my schoolyard bully and be like yeah guess what you're you're a whore son like it, really no it's not the immediate instance. i'm wondering if it's like a word from the past too though because like well, it, this would be like he the was 60s a ch- or something. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe or earlier. earlier. I think yeah. it says yeah, like 1951. Yeah. yeah, in 1951, he attacked an older child, partially blinding him with a lighted cigarette. He was 10 years old. Uh, okay, Horson, uh, archaic, an unpleasant or greatly disliked person. Huh. Yeah. The example is you Horson dog. That's exactly what they called him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Talk about archaic. That is, that is apropos. At home, Malcolm Long works on his notes. His wife interrupts him to see if he's still working on the Rorschach case. And I wrote, um, HIPAA. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't exist yet, but I mean, seriously, come on. Long insists that she refer to him as Walter Kovacs because Rorschach is an unhealthy coping mechanism, which might be the most, the best thing he says as a psychiatrist in the entire chapter. That's it. That's all he has. Uh, She's concerned he'll get too wrapped up and too involved. He laughs off her concern, but leaves his work to go and spend time with her. I kind of love, like, the juxtaposition of Rorschach and then the psychiatrist. Like, I love showing the show, like, oh, yeah, he comes back home to this nice, like, he's got this wife, and he's got this nice life, and they got friends, and it's just like, Rorschach, and he's like, I'm smelly, and I hate everything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, my life's so great. And just, like, like, he slowly infiltrates like this guy's like psyche fuck you in perfect life <laughs> I know, basically he's living like a huxtable kind of life yeah uh, at home for now back at sing sing long interviews rorschach calling him walter rorschach tells long that he doesn't like him because he can't possibly understand true pain which i think is kind of like what you're just saying he's coming from a place of he obviously has a good job he has a good family life he has a nice house 
and he's trying to get into the psyche of somebody like Rorschach, I don't think, um, I think Rorschach is right. I don't think he can outside of a textbook type situation. Mm. He doesn't truly understand what it's like. He just looks at it and goes, oh, well, this led to this, led to this, but he doesn't understand true pain at all. When Rorschach was a teenager, he worked in the garment industry doing manual labor. And a fantastic little side note there, uh, job bearable but unpleasant had to handle female clothing. So another mm -hmm. point at that inability to deal with females. A woman ordered a custom dress made of fabric with a shifting black liquid between two layers of white latex. She changed her mind about buying it because she thought it was ugly. But young Walter Kovacs is intrigued by it and takes the dress and cuts it up until it doesn't look like a woman anymore and keeps the fabric but puts it away. Also, I think it's mentioned that it has the fabric has something to do with Dr. Manhattan. Manhattan. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dr. Manhattan spin off fabric. So it's like heat and pressure sensitive. Yes. It mm -hmm. looks like a Rorschach inkblot test, basically. For anybody who's listening to this who hasn't read the book, I don't know why you would do that, but <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I can see it. <laughs> the woman, Kitty Genovese, was later murdered outside her apartment building while neighbors heard her screams. She is a real person. I was yeah, just gonna is. say <clears throat> I, I was surprised to learn that. Yeah. yeah. That's also a great uh, headline in the uh, New York Gazette there. Woman killed while neighbors look on. It is it is a true story, though, and it, about, um, I think it's sort of been semi-debunked as not as terrible as it actually comes across, but originally yes it was... No. I don't know the whole story exactly. <laughs> I know that some people have said that there was more to it, but I don't, I don't know it well enough to There's to a great say. documentary on Netflix about it that her brother helped make. Awesome. Mm -hmm. no, that's awesome. Anyway, she was murdered outside of her apartment building and screamed for help while her neighbors heard her and basically nobody did anything. So she was a real person. But in our story, she also ordered a dress that later becomes Rorschach's mask. Was that in the documentary? No. Oh, damn. I'm sure so in this universe that it's in the documentary. <laughs> Kitty Genovese's murder was proof to Rorschach of what people truly are. He it cemented to him that people are basically garbage and bad. And also that they don't stand up when they see something bad happening, which is the opposite of what Rorschach does. Yes, Rorschach likes to try to bring um, justice to everything, whereas um, he sees this as just more proof that that needs to happen more often. Malcolm Long believes Rorschach's problems are the result of misdirected aggression and that he is using Kitty Genovese as an excuse. He does not believe... I'm sorry, Rorschach does not believe that Long truly wants to help him, rather that he's intrigued by a high-profile case and wants notoriety that goes with treating him, which we learn is probably true. He may have somewhat good intentions, but a lot of this, I think, is just very attractive to him because it's a high-profile case, and he feels that it's good for his career. At the prison, Rorschach is in line in the cafeteria and is threatened by another inmate. He throws a pan full of boiling oil into the man's face uh, from like a deep fryer. He reaches underneath, what you call it, or reaches across the uh, cafeteria line, throws a pan full of oil into the man's face in response and announces to the other inmates, none of you understand. I'm not locked up in here with you. You're locked up in here with me, which is a great I line. Fall, yes. I love that Bad. line. Uh, I love just that sequence of just like throwing the hot fryer oil because like it's so visceral to me in my own mind like ugh. it's real well, sad and the, like, and the illustration yeah, oh, yeah. just like really takes you there it makes you think about how like horrible that would be oh 
I love that one red panel. Just like right in the middle of it yep. like with the with the knife and it's just like Ooh. yeah that's probably yeah that's one of the most uh, do you hear am i the only one that hears the kill bill screech in the back <laughs> i can i can hear honestly the sizzle in yeah. that oh, picture yeah. of him oh. throwing the oil you can hear it and the scream and it's just awful the movie does such a good job with that scene yeah. too. like yes. that that really kills that like so well yeah. long's obsession with the rorschach case is starting to put a strain on his marriage uh, he's working late and not making time for his wife she's starting to get frustrated with him and there's um a couple t- in, in that scene she's actually kind of she gets really angry and says some kind of awful stuff to him. Acquired yeah. Attention. Remember last night, Mal, when I required attention? Notice how often you bring up work when I when you know I need sex. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly felt like that was probably almost as or more clunky than the uh, clunky yeah, than the sure. Doctor Manhattan one earlier, where he, where he was just like, "I am here doing clockwork before school, <laughs> father, <laughs> papa." <laughs> Fuck me, husband. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder, though, if this might be also clouded by his mindset at this point. His his wife in the previous scene was very sweet, and they had a very nice thing going on, and now all of a sudden she's, like, angry and kind of just demeaning and terrible, so I wonder if it's... Or he's maybe starting to see through the filter that Rorschach has Mm -hmm. been expressing to him, that maybe he's starting to see the world and women... That's a good point. As Rorschach has explained how he sees it. Well, he That's did, a very he good did point. slip up and call him Rorschach earlier mm-hmm. and then try to correct himself. So, yeah, so, yeah it's starting to... Uh, Infecting him like the coronavirus. <laughs> They're just mean and they want the sex. <laughs> I can't argue like with the, that. Like the, <laughs> what's that. What's that first line in uh, Show Me Your Genitals? Uh, like the song? Oh, damn. It's, I'll rely on you to remember that. I definitely do not remember, but... Oh, you have failed me, Zach. More than once, I promise. (laughs) Won't be the last time either. You promise? I promise you. Get a room. We're in a room. <laughs> We're not in here with you. You're in here with us. just about to say that. We don't need that, don't we? So Malcolm Long's home life continues to be infested with his obsession with the Rorschach case. In session, Rorschach admits the inkblot looks like a dog with its head split open. And he tells a story of investigating a case of a missing six-year-old that haunted him for personal reasons. He interrogated 14 people before he got information from the 15th and went to the address given. The place was a defunct dressmakers in Brooklyn with two German shepherds fighting over a bone in the yard. Rorschach broke in and found a scrap of child's clothing, several knives and saws, and a butcher block. He then watches the dogs outside and realizes they are fighting over a human bone, a child's bone. And he snaps and takes a cleaver and goes outside to the dogs where he kills them both. Normally, I'm very sensitive to dogs being killed in anything but i can i don't know this is a different scene although the dogs it wasn't their fault they were bad dogs also i I love how like the whole scene of that where he shows up to the place from the moment he walks in to the moment he gets to the dogs to go kill them it's all completely wordless like it's Mm -hmm. all just that and it's it kind of is exactly like as empty as that feeling of that rorschach had oh there's no words for how how much of an atrocity that is how horrible that really is i love too the way it's done because it doesn't spell it out for you it allows you to come to these realizations with the character as Mm -hmm. he's coming to those realizations so you're you know looking at what he's looking at and he finds a little piece of clothing and he finds the knives and the saw and he finds the block and he runs his fingers over the marks in the block that show that it's been used yeah 
fresh. And then the close-up of the dog with the bone in his face. And it, it, the way it unfolds is is very uh, effective to the reader. And I yeah. remember reading that and just being, well, many times in this book, honestly, shocked that it goes where it does. But that one just being like, oh, shit. This That's one, awful. This one for me was like the most visceral, even on my first, oh my god, did they just like talk about murdering a literal child? And like, then feeding it to dogs? Yeah, and then feeding it to dogs. Yeah. What? My favorite bit of this is right at the end of that, though, the birth of Rorschach. Mm. The, the line about how it was Kovacs who said mother, then muffled under latex, it was Kovacs who closed his eyes, and then we switched to it was Rorschach who opened them again. The yeah. actual birth of him. When he went from being too soft to deciding to take on the world. Yeah. Yes, this is the event that changes him permanently from Walter Kovacs into Rorschach. When the murderer returns, Rorschach attacks him, handcuffs him to a stove, hands him a hacksaw, and sets the building on fire. Just attacks him. (laughs) (laughs) He throws the dead dogs through the the windows. Yes. Which is hardcore as hell. Like, like, holy shit. It's terrifying too the way um it's drawn with the dogs coming through i'm sorry i didn't mean to gloss over that i just you know i take i do an outline with uh, <laughs> well it's understandable considering how uh that's not anything you look forward to looking at no yeah. no no but yeah then he yeah he hands him a hacksaw or he handcuffs him to a stove hands him a hacksaw and sets the building on fire and also tells him that basically that uh he won't have time to cut through the handcuffs I, I really enjoy this chapter. I shouldn't say enjoy it. <laughs> I appreciate how this chapter really takes you through the emotions that Rorschach is going through and then the emotions that the child murderer is going through. And you really feel that as the reader. Yeah. You go on that ride with them. I think that that just is, is great writing in a, in a lot of ways when it can pull you into so many different points of view and allow you to see through so many sets of eyes effectively. I feel that. Alan Moore is a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> a crazy treasure. Yes. Yeah. I, it's weird because, like, I always thought, like, Rorschach was such a hard, like, I felt like he would be such a hard way. Like, Dr. Manhattan, obviously, would be an, an almost an impossible feat to, like, understand. But Rorschach, on, like, a human level, like, just yeah. how does this man exist at all in, in this, like, empty void of empathy almost and just so hard fast? Well, no, this is how. This is how he is seen this this changes it yeah and it's it's good too because it doesn't feel like a cop-out either like, oh yeah. this is what made him the way he is you read it and you go oh totally i can absolutely see that that would just totally destroy a person because he really is seeing the worst that humanity has to offer here and i think that it kind of leaves him hopeless for there being good in the world and it just flips him over to the rorschach persona permanently he watches the building burn and comments that no one got out So the child murderer burned with the building. Malcolm and his wife have dinner with friends who urge him to give them information about Rorschach, hoping to hear interesting or titillating gossip. Malcolm, for whatever reason, just, I think he's just, well, obviously he's sort of broken at this point. So he tells them about the little girl murdered and fed to the dogs and ruins dinner for everyone. But if you back up there from the point Rorschach is taken out of the room. His world dissolves. He starts seeing the world through Rorschach's eyes. Yes, he starts to see the worst. Every frame is something awful, and that's how he's viewing things now. Yes, so he does, you know, he's very blunt about that. Um, The guy kind of says something like, I bet Rorschach's really kinky or some weird thing like that, and he just says, talks about the the little girl murdered, fed to the dogs, and everybody is just disgusted. His wife is furious. Uh, The friends leave early. 
and Malcolm and his wife fight. He is broken at this point. His worldview has changed, and he just feels hopeless, helpless. I can kind of relate to that a lot because I feel maybe this is just myself, but whenever there's uh, TV shows or movies kind of about gruesome stuff or, you know, like the intrigue about serial killers. So you have this couple in this scene that we were that you were just talking about where they're like, "Ooh, tell us something interesting. Now, to me, it's like it's weird that they know that this is like a guy that's killed people or has done violent things and they look for, you know, little tidbits. And it's like. Then they're shocked to hear that stuff. And what were you, what were you expecting? Well, I think he like, wants how to hear because he asks about because he talks about a, a girl and the guy assumes it's an adult and he asks if she's tied up. And I think he was more like you know is it sexy? Mm-hmm. And then when is he tells he having him, like Freudian kind of yeah. you know thoughts and things like and that. And then when he tells him the truth of it, it's not some just like interesting scandalous story. It's it's a horrible horror, uh, something that nobody should ever have to hear about or go through at all but um it's the kind of thing nobody really wants to hear because i think when we're looking at true crime most people i think kind of shy away from the stuff dealing with children and the more brutal stuff that stuff is almost too much and i love true crime but Mm -hmm. i prefer true crime to be more like last podcast on the left kind of true crime they don't get into child murders all that much and when they do it's not true i just finished the peter curtain episodes they were rough oh that's true sorry (laughs) they don't often but they but i don't know i feel like child murder is one of those things that it's like it's almost it's too much for almost everybody it's way too taboo yeah. yeah. Whereas violence like, against women is very normalized and I guess that's where I feel un- I guess that's, that's where I feel uncomfortable with it cuz like I don't want to necessarily say that child murder is like less bad than it actually is but I I I I see them kind of equally in my opinion like any stories about well, they're all murder terrible, or death sure. and it's mm-hmm. all terrible yeah. to me so I think that they were looking more for like a kooky story though like yeah. oh yeah. they kidnapped her and then they tied him up and then all of a sudden like something goofy happened instead of what there, he there, wanted there, to happen there was like, a yeah. poem with a timer on it and a smiley <laughs> face <Yeah>. and <laughs> rush I had to go in and save the name like <laughs> no it's a yeah a they wanted the original mind. Batman yeah he was gonna stab the guy and then he tripped like I get the feeling the guest thinks it's all in his mind anyway Mm -hmm. You know, this guy's not even real. He's just, you know, fucked up in the head. None of this has actually Mm -hmm. happened. Well, and two, I think Malcolm at the end is starting to see his friends the way that Rorschach sees him. He's starting to see the whole world like that. Yeah, Yeah, I think so, too. And it's funny that you mentioned that because John sent me a message. John had sent me a message last week before we recorded because he was concerned that Skype wasn't going to work and that he would sent me some of his thoughts to work in if I needed to. And one of the things that he said was that he did not believe the whole Malcolm Long art. And I kind of agreed with him at the time, but now that we're discussing it and now that we're talking about just kind of that that feeling and that negativity and that worldview sort of infecting him and and kind of pulling him over to that side, we're talking about it in those terms and looking at this kind of little by little, it now it makes more sense. And now to me, I, now I think I disagree with John. Sorry, John. Yeah, I don't really think of it as an infection, more as like opening his eyes to how cruel the world can actually be because he's, he's lived a comfortable woke. life yeah <laughs> yeah because he's lived a comfortable life well life and he has a wife is what i was going for a comfortable but, wife yes a comfortable <laughs> wife and a comfortable life <laughs> it's dr seuss now the <laughs> star belly sneeches i i wonder if what john is saying is this might be the only time that 
the graphic novel falls a little short of had it been straight prose because in a novel this would have been interspersed over a longer period of time. Yeah, it's a very more short arc. subtly yeah. instilled to where that that would have given more sense because I mean you're talking in a in a page and a half suddenly he went from shiny happy to you know I'll be putting my wife in a garbage bag outside for collection in a week you know so I mean that's a pretty quick shift and that maybe that's what he means in the in disbelieving of that arc not so much that that could happen. Because it is an effective character change, but maybe just in the pacing of it. Like the end of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> I have no comment as I gave up on Game of Thrones. Like, yep. way yeah, I haven't seen it, so no spoilers. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I gave up on it a few seasons Here's ago. Here's the spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> Seas- up to season three. Right. After that, don't even bother. I, I, mm, uh, is that the season with the Red Wedding? Uh, yes, that's yeah. the end of season three. Okay, yeah, that's when I gave up and I was like, yeah. Mel. Bye. There goes half the cast. I stopped, <laughs> I stopped watching it when it met when it where the books were. I didn't want yeah. it to as soon as it yeah. as soon as it was going to surpass the books. I stopped watching. Yeah, that makes sense. The books that'll never end. I know. Never happen. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we're almost to the end. This chapter ends with a Nietzsche quote: "Battle not with monsters, lest you become a monster. And if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you." Which is. One of the best quotes in this whole book for this. Yes, like, it's a fantastic use of that quote. And just, yeah, it's absolutely perfect. I love it. The interlude is documents from Walter Kovacs' arrest and older psychiatric hospitalizations. There are also documents written by young Walter. This, to me, is one of the more heartbreaking aspects of his story because it kind of covers his entire life in the system. It's very sad when you look at it and when you read between the lines in particular and not even have to just read not even just between the lines but in general it's just a very sad tragic story it details his arrest including the contents of his pockets i won't read the whole thing but one of them is a withered rose which is from the comedian's grave which i thought was cool and five individually wrapped cubes yes sugar cubes that he stole <laughs> they refer to them as chewing yeah sugar, i was just though. gonna google that <laughs> i already googled it it's not a thing what? Um, <laughs> yeah chewing in sugar. this world dr manhattan ch- altered sugar as well this <laughs> god damn it he's back at it again <laughs> A bunch of other stuff, too, like pepper, for some reason, and a broken bottle of nostalgic cologne, which is another Vite product. Which I think is also funny, because people complain about how he smells. Yes. Uh, well, they were like, they were like, what is that? Is that aftershave? And like, <laughs> like when they were arresting him. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. His patient history from the New York State Psychiatric Hospital, where he was admitted after the fight with the bullies that left one of the kids partially blind. Uh, his issues with his mother are discussed further here, as well as her murder at the hands of her pimp. Upon hearing news of her death, he only said, good. There's a paper written by Walter, age 11, titled My Parents. It discusses the man he imagined his father was, although he knows nothing about him beyond his name. He imagined his father as a patriot because he heard he liked President Truman. Nice foreshadowing here about the amount of lives saved by dropping an atomic bomb on Japan. Also, I think, explains a lot about why he kind of excused and looked up to the comedian, because he sees the comedian as a patriot, and the father that he imagined for himself was also a patriot. Well, he even says here that uh, he thought the bombing of Hiroshima was a good thing because it stopped more war, so he's willing to kind of 
weigh those scales of one against the other, which is kind of where he sees the comedian as well. Yeah. The comedian's violence is violent right now against this handful of people, but it's stopping whatever violence. At least that's how he sees it. More uh, moral nihilism. Yes. Yes, yes. a lot. That, that was way more elegant than what I just said. <laughs> that's perfect. I'm always here to one-up you, Bob. Yes. <laughs> There is a paper also written by Walter at the age of 13 about oh, a dream he had, which is actually, I think, one of the most disturbing I agree. sections, yeah. but also makes so much sense. It's very interesting. A dream he had where his mother and a man were stuck together and shuffling towards him with their clothes on the floor around their ankles, tripping them. Almost like they're More? merging together. Some weird Picasso monster. Yes. Horrible body horror. Yes, like some sort of like David Cronenberg. Yeah, some Cronenberg-esque Or or maybe (laughs) Japanese horror as well. And when he woke up, he had feelings he did not like or understand and did not want to discuss them further, which is... Fair. Yeah, really. (laughs) This is a dream I never want to discuss again for so many reasons. Um, I think that's just a really good window into his views on sex and intimacy and women and all of these things um obviously he is extremely his views on all of these things are very warped and this is just a really good example of that because even when he himself has sexual feelings he doesn't know what to do about that and it's very upsetting to him rather than normal um, i love the the ending of the the note at the end from dr malcolm here keep notes with an eye to possible future publication Mm-hmm. First interview is Friday afternoon. Looking forward to it. Oof. So quick character discussion. Malcolm Long, a psychiatrist who may have good intentions, but is primarily driven by his desire for this to further his career. Driven by ego. Driven by ego and eventually broken to the point of despair. <laughs> so um, it does not end well for him. His... He done fucked up. <laughs> we are all alone. <laughs> there did... is nothing else is his final line. Fuck. Like, Jesus. That sounds like my teenage diary. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually on the cover of mine. So. <laughs> I was going to say, I think Malcolm's going through his emo phase. Yeah. <laughs> Rorschach. We learn so much about him in this chapter. This is sort of the, his equivalent to the uh, Watchmaker chapter, Dr. Manhattan's chapter, where we learn his origins and what shaped him and who he is. Obviously, he came from a terrible situation with a mother who worked as a prostitute and subjected her son to a life that was extremely difficult for him and dangerous. Witnessing her having sex with various men affected him deeply, and the treatment he received at her hands twisted that even more. If he'd have just minded his own fucking business to stay out of her room, he yeah. was just Not, He was checking on her. He was worried that Are he was... Are you hurting my mommy? <laughs> <laughs> Mommy, you sound like her. you're making hurting sounds. <laughs> she didn't lock her door either. Yeah, that's what, true. Come on, man. She couldn't afford a fucking lock. She only got paid five dollars a pop. She <laughs> would have been paid more if he didn't bust in there. He deserved a pop in the chops. <laughs> I, I just had, had, a, had one of came into him. <laughs> I just had a thought that I wanted to deposit to you all. Um, when I first read through this, I just kind of had this assumption that I was looking at it from a objective point of view you know like we are seeing snapshots of his life how do you feel about maybe maybe recontextualizing it to since this is him telling these stories to the psychologist that maybe some of these are tinged in a different way that may have not been exactly true because it's part of his mindset like maybe it wasn't the dogs were eating the bone of a child maybe he just kind of like combined the two in a certain way i guess i'm not really it explaining depends, it super it depends well. on how crazy you think he is um how reliable he is of a narrator. Well, too, and I think you've, you've hit on something and I was kind of toying with this too, that whole scene where he finds that mm-hmm. there are dressmakers dummies and he finds 
clothing. You know, it's child's clothing or fabric in the fireplace. But there's also a sewing machine on the floor next to him as he's leaving there, which could explain that away from necessarily being the little girl's clothing. And then he goes into another apartment or room where the sharp implements are mm-hmm. with the chopping board, which the two will obviously be used together with or without a little girl. There. Right. And then again, you're right. We don't know what that bone is. So, so you could absolutely read that as he put pieces together that didn't necessarily fit and justified his own action. It seems, I mean, anybody being faced with death like that alleged child murderer would have been as aggressive about his innocence. Like, you know, anybody would be doing that even if they were guilty. But it does to kind of maybe frame it in that way. Maybe if we do look at it from a perspective of maybe he just drew the wrong connection and this was a legitimately innocent guy. Can you imagine the horror of that? This guy oh. just comes home and his dead dog's thrown at him and this guy's just like, you know what you did. And he's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what did I... Well, I what think did I that do? This much, like a lot of things in this story, like the more I read it, so much of it is open to interpretation whenever anything is even removed. Like a Rorschach test. Yes. Ooh. Well, okay. I guess we're done here now. I do have one thing to say, though. When Rorschach confronts him, and this is his memory, but the mm-hmm. guy does say, you think I'm something to do with that little girl without Rorschach saying anything. That's fair. And yeah. I was sitting right on that. But it, but it does bring up that point that Andrew's making, though. We are seeing this from right. Rorschach's point of view. I also think it's it's important to know what Rorschach believes, more important than to know what's actually reality, because this is mm-hmm. fueling his choices and what he is mm-hmm. doing. And I just I think there's this really great parallel between him failing this little girl and not being able to save her and nobody saving him when he was a child yeah yes. it, he he needs to save that girl like he, yeah. he needed to he needed to give her that justice well to play devil's advocate how badly did he need it did he need it to where he actually solved it or to where he was going to make that fit probably both most likely i don't think there's an answer that's the thing yeah. i don't think you mm-hmm. can say oh yeah. here here it is that it's that defines completely it, but, yeah We've solved Watchmen, everybody. Congratulations, dust your hands off. Let's walk on. Alan Moore is listening to this at some point going, you fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> right, you, you, you fucking wankers. You fucking whores. <laughs> They're like those brilliant wankers. <laughs> Damn you. I One of the notes I had down here is is that it's such a good contrast to Dr. Manhattan's mm-hmm. like one chapter because while it's like it's all about fate and like what is going to happen is going to happen like i see all of time and where on the other hand rorschach is just the chaos element yeah there's way more punching and kicking in this one <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> and maybe a titty or two what's up uh yeah no no dicks what's up uh, that's fine too uh, but uh it's like you see this like fate and all this like cogs and machinery and then you just see pure chaos and violence and darkness it's like with the the plans that are being laid and sowed currently and you know they're they're just starting to fruit rorschach is the chaos rorschach is is the unknown element that could totally fuck all of this up and it's like knowing that you're just like oh shit, god oh man this is getting (laughs) (laughs) well too rorschach is so much he is humanity. He is that chaos of being human. Yeah. Whereas Dr. Manhattan is floating further and further away from that. Yeah, he, he is the logical center of humanity yeah. where like Rorschach is like the the crappiest, awful, violent part of them. Yeah. But he still wants to be a good guy. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> kind of. <there's, sighs> I think he justifies his behavior to the point where he thinks he's 
a, a better guy than he is, but I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely have a lot of sympathy for Rorschach in this chapter, just because you kind of see it all kind of makes sense where he came from. And there are so many people who exist who are in real life who are like that, not necessarily to the extreme of vigilantism, but the people who have just not to get weird and personal, but like, I grew up in a horrible house. Like, uh, like, like my personal like childhood was awful. And it's like, of course I saw myself as Rorschach, like, you know, growing up. Cause I was like, yeah, yeah. Fuck society. Like I want to go, uh, like get some, just some people and punch rapists in the face. Man, your stuff. voice Were really you, changed. Yeah, uh, yeah. 12 or 89. <laughs> your, uh, your choice. Uh, but it's like, and like I had that sympathy for him. Cause I was like, man, yeah, my house I grew up in kind of sucked. Yeah. My, my dad wasn't there. Like, yeah, I'd probably do the same too. And then I like turned into an actual like sympathetic human being and like not awful, at least to my extent, to my knowledge, like at least hopefully. You're but. better than Rorschach. <laughs> much, yeah. much better. Sylvia Kovacs, I wrote, not mother of the year. <laughs> hopefully nothing else after that. That's it. <laughs> Abusive and resentful of her son. She raises him in an unhealthy environment that warps and twists his views on the world and humanity as a whole. Uh, and Gloria Long loves her husband, but is concerned and later resentful of the amount of time he is putting into the Rorschach case. And needs sex. Needs sex. Need she is that, not supportive of his career. Need no. that good dicking down. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Amen, brother. All right. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> so final thoughts. I am mesmerized by the use of the inkblots in this chapter. I love the the way they use the inkblot to show the uh, change between that and the dog and the inkblot between that and the mother with her um, client. Client. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> the artistry in that is really beautiful and the transitions are very just, again, cinematic. You can al- almost see it happening like in a movie. Well, it's multiple it. times too, where it zooms in on the on the ink blot that then fades into whichever story or fades out of whichever story he's about to tell. It's also great the silhouette that looks to him like his mother and the man explains so much about the Hiroshima lovers graffiti, mm-hmm. the silhouette of the people that makes him uncomfortable to look at. I also really love the one. It's like the one that goes from like yellow to red. Because it's it, like during that transition of like like the the murder of the dogs, yeah. Because it's just like this is where Walter ends, and this is where Rorschach begins. And it's just like with violence, yeah, this brutal violence. Oh right yep. there. yeah, yellow to red, it's beautiful. Yeah. When I was making this outline, I, I know I said this before, but I found myself referring to the character as Walter in the pre stages, the child stages, and then when we get to the character that we know just referring to him as Rorschach the rest of the time, unlike the others. And I think, you know, we had touched on that, that he has completely abandoned his former self at this point. Walter is just, is like somebody he used to be, whereas Rorschach is his true, his final form, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Great. It's his Pokemon evolution. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to when you were talking about that with the other characters, I feel the same way with Dr. Manhattan, because he had that pivotal moment where he transitioned from being John to Dr. Manhattan. So when he's blue, I think he's Dr. Manhattan. (laughs) (laughs) And if he were green, he would die. (laughs) (laughs) I always think of him as John because he didn't name himself Dr. Manhattan. The marketing guys did, so I don't know. I don't know. He, he didn't name himself John either. <laughs> Truth bomb. <laughs> and we're done. That's it. Sorry, that's, that's a valid point. No, it's true. Fantastic. That's really true. No, and that is it for chapter six. One of the, I think a very heavy chapter. 
uh, probably the heaviest chapter until maybe chapter 12. Why is that? <laughs> oh, well, we'll see. Hmm. We'll see when we get there. Who knows? Wow, that was expertly done. <laughs> Very good dodging. <laughs> Stay tuned to find out what happens in chapter 12. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Great show. Say goodnight. Good night. Uh, you good tricked night. us. Yeah. <laughs> good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.